Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Sheehan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Sheehan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Sheehan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello and welcome to Kuden. Great to have you all with us on uh, what is now Friday. If you're listening to this on the podcast, who knows what day it is, but we're glad to hear all the same. <laughs> and uh, a special hi to Steve, we know, is uh, with us, Tim as well, and uh, you can join in as well. Uh, I know if you're on the uh, the webcast side, you can kind of sign in there and make yourself known or uh, uh, jump in on the call later. We'll, we'll try to get some time for Q&A, but uh, how are you doing this week, sir? I'm well. Uh, I'm getting more fit every day. As you know, I've uh, started on a whole weight loss. Well, I've been trying to work on it for a long time and finally decided I'd get some professional help. And uh, so I lost 20 pounds in the last two months and three and a half inches off my midsection, almost a full inch off my neck. I'm I'm doing well. Um, yeah, that's amazing. 13 pounds in the first month. Yeah, amazing, right? Uh, so what, I, what we decided to do was kind of uh, keep my avalanche going and uh, open it up to other people. So we started a 27-week fitness challenge at the dojo or through the dojo. So for six months, people could, uh, you know, sign up, and we provide uh, what we call a Kickstarter guide that has uh, some myths and uh, some uh, meal choice uh, alternatives and all that, and then we have some uh, meal plans. They can use them or modify them or whatever, um, and they come to three classes a week and all that. So uh, I am now up at the ungodly hour, which I know you don't care about, but um, <laughs> at like 4.45, uh, I feel like a DJ, like a morning talk show DJ. Um, so I can have a class started at 6 a.m., Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, we do 9 a.m. the other days of the week. Uh, Sunday I take off. Um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, there's also a 4 in the afternoon class. So as soon as I'm done with this, literally, I've got to make sure that things are ready for people coming in and uh, jump on the floor and do another half-hour workout. So I'm doing about... Uh, my daughter and I are splitting the schedule. That's the theory, right? But we have 14 of these fitness classes a week, and wow. um, I'm probably doing 60 to 70 percent of them. So, and it's nothing on her. She works part time at the school, so uh, hopefully in October she'll be full time. And uh, so, I mean, we're already getting set with that. So I'm, I'm just busy all over the place doing the consulting stuff. I'm trying to eke out two weeks so I can get a trip into Japan um, this year. looks like it won't be until November now. Um, what else? I go on vacation next week, so there won't be a Kuden unless you're going to do it by yourself. There won't be one next Friday because I'll be in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, not in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. I'll be along the eastern seaboard uh, on a boat. Um, I'll be like my Canadians say, boat in a boat. Um, boat in a boat. They always tell me they don't. They always tell me they don't say it that, that way, but yes, yes, they do. Yes, you do, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's just busy. And then uh, next month, uh, among other things, is um, Bully Awareness and Prevention Month. 
So we are kicking off this huge campaign where we're going into schools and doing a presentation. We're doing a, uh, a seminar at the school and all that kind of stuff. And, of course, there are lots of options for dealing with bullies, but we're going to show them how martial arts can actually help do that. Uh, all without fighting, right, without throwing punches and kicks and things, uh, just character traits, like learning to stand up straight and make eye contact and, you know, uh, just presence and, and uh, the, you know, the, the side effects that we get from, from martial yeah. arts training. So, yeah, it'll be cool. Anyway, that being said, uh, I, I think this week we have something to talk about that is the antithesis of that, right? It's just the opposite, a bunch of kids running around and beating the crap out of people for not getting their own way. Yeah, you know, and, anyway. and you know, we we've seen a number of these things pop in the news whether it's kind of this uh this mob sort of attack that that happened. You sent me this story. It happened uh, at a amusement park. A family there uh had some, you know, basically this group of of teens uh decided, well, we're go- we're going to just cut in line and do whatever we feel like and it sounds like words were exchanged from this family that that was cut in front of which led to these teens basically going on to the the attack. Uh, I'm sure, you know, bolstered by the fact they've got numbers they feel emboldened. But, um, sure. you know, this we've also seen, I, I know you brought it up many times about this, um, with the knockout game, too, that, you know, often is, is happening here and there, where it's these sucker punch things that seem to come out of nowhere unexpected that, that lead, you know, lead an attack in. Yeah. yeah. Just people being dumb, you know. Try to be emboldened and all that. And if you if you read the story, and, and we'll post a link to the story uh, on the Kuden page, so that uh, or at least from one source that you can uh, look at this thing. Uh, you know, instead of um, attacking the parents who actually initiated things by saying, "Hey, you know, we don't appreciate you cutting in line. Wait your turn," uh, they turned around and started attacking the 12-year-old little boy. And yeah. then dad stepped in, and then mom stepped in, and stuff like that. And of course. Uh, it was an 18-year-old that punched a 12-year-old little boy, which makes him the tough guy. But he was the he was the leader, you know. What I mean, he was the one that the other right. younger ones wanted to emulate or be like, and uh, <clears throat> he's the one that initiated. And then when mom and dad stepped in, that's when the other what was it eight maybe? Uh, yeah, I think there were eight or nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and so, uh, if you saw this in the news, right? It's basically uh, at a uh, was it a Great, what was it? Uh, yeah, Six great Flags, Adventure. Great America. Yeah, it was Great Adventure. Yeah. Great America. There you go. Um, yeah, so uh, lots of little things came out of this. I mean, one of the things, if you if you read down through the comments uh, on that post, uh, what you find is that the statement by the spokesperson in this park that they have a zero tolerance policy and that uh, this is an isolated event, it doesn't happen on a regular basis, you find that that is uh, – bull. It happens all the time. Um, right. You know, uh, and apparently they have a, a low cost of entry kind of thing, which is great for people on vacation and all that, but mm-hmm. it also makes it easy for these thugs to get in. And apparently they have a problem with these teenagers. Uh, and this particular park is in an area that is ripe with gang uh, activity. So these people go in, they, they will purposely walk down, you know, through the park and all that and bump shoulders with people and, you know, make comments and all that. And uh, butt in line, and, and just you know, just generally being asses, and uh, apparently it happens all the time. So, uh, and even though they have this zero tolerance statement, it's like a lot of businesses, right? They have this statement, and they have uh, 
you know, these, these corporate messages, according to uh, many of these people, uh, there's no uh, security intervention. There's no, there's, there's nothing, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and, and maybe there is, but maybe <laughs> what is is not enough. So, uh, yeah, anyway. But um, so there, there were many things that, that kind of came up in this. And uh, while I have my own perspective, after, you, you know, you read it, um, what, um, and again, we just gave you the general gist. You can read the, you can read the, the story uh, afterwards. But it really was that. I mean, this family of three was waiting in line, and uh, this group butted butt in the line, and mom and dad said something. And instead of turning around and cocking off to mom and dad, they proceeded to punch the crap out of the little kid. And dad stepped in, and then the other one's gang jumped him, and when mom stepped in, of course. And then what ended up happening is this family of three that was at this park for a little vacation getaway uh, spent some time in the hospital. Yeah. Right? So I thought this was worth uh, talking about because we want to make sure that we're not getting caught up in uh, what I call dojo syndrome uh, in, our, in our martial arts training because – Regardless of what style you practice, and of course, you know, we do, we're, we're involved in needed to, but everybody has their thing. We need to make sure that while we want to preserve the lineage and we want to, we want to learn things as they were passed down, uh, that, that becomes a launching off point, that we want to make sure that we're putting these things into context and, you know, uh, establishing plans of action and, you know, really working on our, our awareness and, you know, uh, so there's many things, right? But what I want to do kind of this, to, to start off was toss the ball in your court because you're a dad, right? You might, that might have been yeah. you and Tara out with, uh, with your son, you know? So uh, what kind of things did you see in that story or what kind of things kind of crept up for you uh, before, I, before I, I butt in and throw my two cents? Yeah. Well, you know, the sucker punching of the 12-year-old boy certainly jumped out at me being a father and just, you know, there's not a lot of detail to the story um, but certainly you kind of, you, you know, I immediately think of, well, what was the scene like? What was the scenario we've, we've done, uh, in class, you know, uh, with, with some of our different come on techniques, uh, you know, how you would, how you would work to guard somebody you would protect, uh, you know, getting them behind you and to a place of safety, uh, so that you can, you know, act knowing that they're in a safe space. Uh, and 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 you know avoid the even the the opportunity for this sucker punch to arise. You know I think that's probably what jumped out at me the most was you know what what was that situation like that placed the 12 year old in proximity enough for this initial sucker punch to start the whole thing going. Um, sure. You know to me that if if I was this father and was going to start speaking up to say something because of some rowdy teens, I mean that 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 first kind of movement would before anything was said or done would be you know people are uh, you know moving moving my family or son kind of out of the way behind me first thing you do is reposition way. right yeah absolutely. you make sure that your child's not between you and the person you may set off right yeah and and we have and to know that too because we, we have this warrior thing right well we want to stand up and, and stand for justice so uh one of the things that, that stood out to me in the story uh was that no one no one that was in that line, all these other people that had been butted in front of, whatever, no one else said anything, and no one else stepped in while this family was being pummeled. Right? Yeah. Zero. See, I already have a problem with that, because one, I'm going to be with the guy speaking up after I reposition my kids and my family, and two, um, 
if, if it's not me that's being targeted, I'm going to step in. I mean, what, what else are we training for? And I get it that people don't know, but no one, you know, lots of calls were made to 911, but how's that going to stop anything? Average police yeah. response time is 10 minutes, right? I don't know how long the, the, uh, it took for security to arrive, but, you know, does that. Anyway, back to you. Sorry. Well, I was just going to add to this. This kind of made me think of an incident uh, that happened uh, last year, about a year, year and a half ago, maybe somewhere in, uh, last summer, I guess I'd say. There is a local uh, festival uh, in this area, you know, kind of a street carnival uh, sort of thing. And uh, an incident arose there, not involving myself or my son, but I had my son down there to you know, check out some of the carnival games and rides, and uh, a, a group had basically gotten into a scuffle uh within you know yards of us and and you know it's one of those things where you can you can hear it start and someone yells at somebody and a guy's taking off his t-shirt and uh you know we're we're putting our fists up the perfect and, time you know, to punch okay. him right <laughs> right, you know that that kind of a thing, but you know the positioning and 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 all that going on between you know who's the bigger badass kind of thing. But you know uh, my initial reaction in that situation because I had my son with me was uh, I was gone. Uh, you know while everybody else was screaming and people were you know kind of like oh my god looking. Um, you know I basically uh, grabbed my son by the hand and we went between carnival games over a complete sure. aisle over into a parking lot. And, you know, I had about, you know, five or six trailers and a whole row of cars between myself and where this other street was, where the incident took place. And, and that all happened in, in, you know, a moment. And, and the, the, the thought and the idea behind that was, one, I, I don't need to be there. I'm not involved in that. Two, uh, I want to be as far away as quick as I can because who knows where it will go. Is somebody armed with a weapon? And if, you know, God forbid somebody's got a, a, a firearm and starts shooting, I want stuff, you know, of substance between myself and uh, my son, you know, on the other side of me. So, you know, all those things, they, they kind of, they kick in in a second and, and you just make that move and you go. But it's often something you talk about too that, you know, you think, well, where does this all come from? Well, we train with it all the time. If you're training outside of the dojo with this mentality of things being able to happen, you're working on these things all the time when you're just wandering through the mall. Um, you know, how are you, how are you navigating crowds when you're in places where there are crowds and thinking of, you know, where exits are. And, and it's often when you describe that to people, you get this look of like, geez, you're really a paranoid person, but it's, it's not that way. It's just, it's, it's being <laughs> mindful of them, uh, right. you know, for, for lack of a better it's term. Not like we've, yeah, we're not hypervigilant. It's not like we see uh, a potential attacker in everybody's face. I mean, that's, yeah. that's paranoia, right, where you don't trust anyone, right? Right. Uh, we're just generally aware of what's going on. Now, the, the situation that you're talking about, right, while the similarity is there where you, you were there with your son, but you weren't engaged with these people. They didn't cut in front of you, they, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, right? They already had a problem with each other, and so the assessment was uh, there's nobody to save here. These are just the bulls going at it, and yeah, I need exactly. to put some space and, and, and cover between me and, and them. And you take your son. But, you know, can you imagine how many uh, self-proclaimed superheroes, uh, martial artists, self-defense people, whatever, might have, you know, told their son to sit next to a, a, a food truck or something like that and wait here, I'll be back. Right? right. So they right. can insert themselves and, you know, save the day or whatever. Right. Except that what if you don't save the day and you're done? 
right? Mm-hmm. Then yeah. what? Then your child is there by themselves, or, you know, you don't have to be done completely, but you're disoriented, you're maimed, whatever, right? Um, or worse yet, they just go charging in, and then their kid's like, oh, wait, daddy, and they, you know, instinctively go running after you mm-hmm. uh, right into the foray, right? So uh, these are considerations that we really need to think about. I mean, when, when we go down through our eight phases of uh, self-defense strategy, you know, we talk about general awareness and, and just recognizing that danger exists. And I, I don't need to go into this because uh, I'd be singing to the choir, right? Everybody that's here knows about this. But the, it needs to extend into the arenas of uh, what kind of attacks are, am I most likely to deal with and what, how are these scenarios set up? So re- reading these uh, these news stories, right, reading or watching the news and seeing how things play out. Now, this actually – I found this news story actually kind of inadvertently because I don't just scour the news. Uh, but for my workplace violence consulting firm, uh, I do want to stay on top of things because sometimes it can be an uphill climb convincing – an executive director or a corporate CEO that I'm not in there to teach the people how to be fighters, but how to survive yeah. actual violence, right? And a lot of them just believe that since everybody gets along in their firm, it can never happen because they're only focused on employee-initiated things. They forget that there are former employees, domestic violence can spill over into the workplace. You know, there's all this stuff, right? So what I do is I – uh, I actually have uh, – I, I use a free service that Google has. It's called Google Alerts. Uh, and you can mm-hmm. just type in Google Alerts in a Google thing, and, and it'll pop up. And what you can do is you can type in some keywords or phrases or whatever. And uh, once a day, Google sends me uh, news reports on these things mm-hmm. that I've told it to send me. So I don't have to just do Google searches on these things and then find things from – who knows, 1996 or whatever, um, this thing happened, what, on the 27th? I mean, it just happened the other day, right? So um, uh, so what I do is I set these things up. So I have things for, you know, manager attacked, manager killed, uh, employee attacked or assaulted. I have these different keywords, and they're multiple, so I end up getting a string of these things. But um, it, it sets things up. So, I mean, anybody could do this where they just look up uh, something where um, – you know, bystander attacked or um, stabbed. You know, you could just do the simple word, stabbed or mm-hmm. shot or whatever, right? And uh, Google will literally feed you these stories where you can look at it and read the, the kind of the outline of the scenario, do a little bit of extra research if you want to, and then reverse engineer these things because part of the general awareness uh, category, right, that, that strategic phase, in your training and your response is in knowing as much as possible about what you are most likely to deal with and how these things kind of come together. Because all we're left with without that is our own experience. Some of us have it. Some of us don't. Some of us have a little bit. And all of that can be problematic because most people just figure that the people that don't have any experience, they're the ones that don't know anything, right? So they're the ones Mm. that are crippled. But often those of us who have experience all we're, all we're, what we're doing is we're filtering the world and coming up with presuppositions that things will always happen the way we have experienced or based on the news stories we've read up to this point. So we can miss trends, right, uh, where, you know, something starts to happen uh, and then people catch on. Like um, I think it was back in the 90s. Uh, I was still training with Stephen Hayes, and uh, we would go to Dayton, Ohio, and all that. And 
one of the big things this one year was that these gangs, it actually started in California, way to go, pacifists, what happened with that? Yeah. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> uh, these gangs, right, what they would do was they would um, rob people in truck stops, okay? Mm. And uh, you know this because we actually, like, set the scenario up without the bathroom. We set the scenario yeah. up to teach you how to not let this happen to you, right, or to come up with some defenses for this based on our art. And uh, what they would do is wait until somebody went into a bathroom stall, and they could hear the belt, they could hear the pants drop and all that. As soon as the person dropped their pants and turned around to sit down, they'd kick the door open and slash at their legs with a knife, right? So uh, now we didn't drop any pants in the dojo, but what we did was we slid our belt all the way down to below mm -hmm. the knee, right, and, and farther, and then looked at how we could move our legs while being trapped in this – in this thing, right? Because that was moving from California. By the time we did that seminar where we talked about this and, and worked on this in Dayton, it had already come into the Midwest, right? So it was literally being passed on as a good idea um, by these guys, right? So knowing these trends and knowing that this is a, you know, a, it's a looming possibility, especially if you travel and you go to truck stops. So what other common yeah. denominators are there, right? I mean, if you don't take your, your family to amusement parks, okay, great. But what other kind of thing? You were in an amusement park. You were at a town fair, right, and something mm -hmm. occurred, right? So, yeah. you know, don't get locked into the details um, and see where it goes. And then once you have that, see, that's what feeds into phase two with situational awareness. If you don't know what to look for, then how, how do you get triggered, right? I mean, how do you uh, – what, what will alert you, Right. So, um, and that's where people end up being paranoid because they're looking for everything or anything, or people don't pay attention. So they certain things that are that are potential cues or red flags just don't pop up on the radar, right? Uh, also, having these pre plans, like you know, you being with me, with I, how, how often do we have classes where I taught about pre planning for things? Something happens, you know, whether we we're talking about. Uh, gun defense or whatever, right? You thought about the possibility of uh, weapons. You thought about the possibility of firearms. So mm -hmm. as soon as that came up as a possibility, you knew that not only distance, but also getting as much metal and, and solid uh, material between you and your son and, and a potential, uh, you know, firearm was important. So it wasn't just standing around or, we'll just keep our distance, son. Yeah. Mm. Uh, how about if we just, you know, <laughs> gauge the distance, right? Uh, yeah. But I think a lot of this stuff, it, it's, I don't think it's missed, okay? Because, you know, often, and I used to say it as well, uh, often uh, self-defense people will say, well, nobody's talking about this stuff, and, you know, it's just not being covered. And Yeah, it is. See, I disagree with that, right? Yeah. What's not being covered is the training through it and the actual either head work or body work or whatever by the actual practitioner. What's happening is it's just lip service or, in a lot of cases, with our own training, uh, with some things, like uh, I just covered uh, escape and evasion techniques and, uh, or tips and tactics uh, during my coaching call this morning with people. And I said the same thing. I said, you know, we can talk about escape and evasion and that being part of ninjutsu, but if you're not practicing it or developing the skills necessary to use that and give yourself an advantage, and I'm talking about way beyond rolling and, and leaping and, you know, size slipping by so a knife misses and all that, um, you know, 
either you're giving it lip service or you're one of the other people that are just reading about it online or offline in books and magazine articles or whatever, and that's as far as it goes. That's cool. Yeah, and then you envision yourself doing it, but you never quite get there, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and here's an example, right, before we come back to this story. Um, while I'm on this thing with the with the escaping to safety, because I related that to what we were doing, I related it to actual lessons from, uh, like the Togakure unarmed kata. All of them end, or they're supposed to end, not the way people practice today. They're supposed to end with you rolling away to disappear behind cover, right, while the person is disoriented or whatever. Of course, if you finish him, you don't have to do that, or do you, right, when other people come running in to help or whatever, right? But the whole idea with Togakure to you is the guy's bigger, faster, better armored or whatever, and maybe the best you're going to get is a disorientation kind of thing. So we hit him a certain way, temporarily blind him, blinding powder or whatever, and then you roll off. Uh, so that requires a whole lot more awareness than just which, which hand is he punching me with, right? Uh, mm. It's okay talking about uh, the idea that if a ninja has to draw his sword, he's already lost. So, I mean, this thing just yeah. begets the whole priorities of things, right? Uh, and I went into those things and, you know, what, what our first priority should be, what the next priority should be. Uh, and, you know, the last, the last priority for a ninja actually is physically defending yourself. And yet the irony is that we start people there. And the first priority is becoming invisible in the eyes of your enemy and setting up your life so that no one sees you as a target. Well, that sounds awesome, except that that takes a long time to develop and, and create. And for a lot of people, what that really ends up looking like, they, in the early parts of the training, they can't get their head wrapped around it, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the problem is that until you're able to do that, or even phase two, which is learning how to disappear and escape and all that before they get it close enough to do anything to you, even that takes a long time, right? So what are you left with? Well, you're left with he's probably going to show up in front of you throwing a punch or a knife or whatever, so you have to physically defend yourself. So the irony is the the – Last option we want is the physical defending, but because people, you know, it's going to take a long time to develop these other things, we're going to have to learn how to physically defend ourselves until we can get these other non-engagement things down, right? Yeah. So, and the same thing with with the, the things that need to be studied, right? The tips that I gave my guys this morning were, Always have a plan with multiple avenues of escape from your strongholds. And I borrowed words actually from uh, the training and things that Takamatsu-sensei would have taught Hatsumi-sensei, right? So there was a whole book that he – or several books that he gave him on how to uh, create fortifications and strongholds. So that was the word. But when most people think of that, they think of castles and fortresses and all that. But everybody in the world has two primary strongholds. For some people, they're one and the same because they're self-employed and work out of their home office. But your strongholds, those things that you should know by, like, the back of your hand, is your home and your workplace, okay? So plan of action, multiple avenues of escape, because you're going to find yourself in different places. And these things start to bleed over into each other. But the next one is being able to survey the territory and develop an emergency escape route if one's needed. So... This isn't the same as the first one. This is like I'm going to a new restaurant that I've never been to before or I'm staying in a new hotel or whatever, right? And what I'm going to do when I pull into the, into the parking lot is I'm going to drive all the way around the building and see what the outside looks like and so I can see where these exit doors are, the kitchen door is or whatever, right? And what maybe 
next to it, right? So the dumpster's next to it or it's 10 feet away across the parking lot or whatever, right? Because when I go through a door to escape, I have to know what I'm going to do after I go through the door and knowing what to do before I go through the door because I know what's on the other side is a whole lot better than have to make this all up on the fly, right? So I go through that, I park, takes me all of what? An extra 15 seconds, 30 seconds at most to drive around the thing, park, and I go inside and now when I'm looking at the inside of the building, I'm, I, I, when I identify these different places, right, the, the kitchen area, okay, I know where that door is on the other side. I, I know the inside and outside of the building, right? And so I can set things up ahead of time maybe or not, right? Uh, developing the assessment skills to see escape routes and, by the way, be able to prioritize them, right, as best, second best, not a good idea, those kind of things, wherever you happen to be. Right? Like you were at that fair, and I don't know how often you've walked those streets or been near that park or whatever, but when there's a fair there, the landscape is completely different, right? Because mm-hmm, the food trucks mm-hmm. and the trailers and all that, right? That completely changes the landscape. So how do you, how do you recognize a good escape route and know what's going to put you back in danger, keep you out of danger, whatever, right? Uh, another one was understanding the use of terrain as a means of escaping, right? Uh, and then the last one that I gave him was honing the skills for evasion, avoidance, and escape, like rolling, dropping, breakfalls, sleeping. See, I started from the ideal, right, being able to get out before they even get near you, and then setting things up so if you have to, right, you've got a plan of action. And then uh, I'm in a completely foreign place or something that's completely changed, even though I know it, and I have to develop something on the fly to – understanding the terrain i'm being chased so how do i how do i use that terrain to throw them off disappear whatever all the way back to he's on me right so how do i avoid and how do i sneak past people because i was a part of this there was leaping and stealth walking and crawling methods and the use of sight removers see i'm in it right i mean i'm in the i'm in the in the in the in the, in the thick of things right yeah so again it's the same thing um but we can't just talk about this Right? And everybody can relate to the evasion and avoidance and running and maybe getting some cover or something like that between them and the other person. But how many people take it to the point where they've thought about it enough that, again, I'm that dad. And before I'm going to open my mouth to say something about somebody butting in line, or as I do it, I'm grabbing my kid by the shoulder and sliding him behind me because I recognize that as soon as I open my mouth, something can happen which is why the sheep tend to not open their mouths, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's really not that big of a deal and I've got all day and I don't mind wasting my money so that these teenagers can continue to do this in front of me all day long, then, you know, maybe I won't open my mouth either. However, you know, there's also that standing up for what's right. I remember one time, um, what's his name? Uh, Jack Hoban. Do you know Jack Hoban? Uh-huh. I know of him. Yeah, he's one of the, yeah, he's one of the original people that, that trained to, uh, you know, taught this stuff way back in the day mm-hmm. when I could count on three fingers how many people were, how many Westerners were teaching this in America. And mm-hmm. um, uh, Jack was at a, at a batting cage one time uh, with his son, and they were waiting their turn. There was another dad and son in front of him, and somebody else had gone into the batting cage. And there was a sign prominently displayed at the entrance, inside the batting cage, on several different, uh, you know, fenced walls or whatever, right, that said – no more than two rounds when there are people waiting, right? Mm-hmm. So this dad 
let this kid go, did his second round, and he said, okay, we need to go, and the kid threw a fit, and the dad, without making eye contact with anybody, starts dropping money in this thing to placate his kid, and Jack mm. spoke up. Oh, whoa, 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 hey, hey, you know, this kind of thing, right? Well, the guy in front of Jack turns around and goes, boy, I'm glad you said something because that was really rude. And Jack said, hmm. what the hell are you thanking me for? Why didn't you say anything? Your kid was next, you know, that kind of thing. So um, Jack has hmm. no problem with saying these things, right? <laughs> so, but it was the same kind of idea. Now, this guy wasn't going to, you know, jump or whatever. He was stuck in a batting cage. But either way, you know, you don't want to jump against Jack anyway. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, but these are things that, that need to be, be included in our training because if we're really training and needed to, or if we're really talking, I, I know even even the, the typical fight arts, right? Uh, they often talk about you know fighting being a last resort, and they give lip service to all these things, but where's where's the training or where's the preparation for the things that can be done before you have to duck punches or throw ones of your own or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's really important. So while, you know, the dad was a good example of stepping up and, and you know, doing what was right, uh, I think he missed that point with saving his kid, as you said, right? Uh, but at the same time, this also begets this idea that, uh, one, nobody else stepped in. Two, this 18-year-old felt, uh you know, felt it was okay to, to attack the little kid instead of the guy that actually said something, right? Um, he had backup, but nobody did anything. None of the, the, the other eight kids did anything while he was beating up on the 12-year-old. On the as soon as dad stepped in, then you get this mob mentality, right, where they all feel empowered to, to come in there and, and do their thing, right? So um, how did dad position himself when he went in to rescue his kid? Um, that's, that's for rescuing a friend or family member. There's a whole set of training skills and, and mindsets that are necessary for that uh, to insert yourself in, but also to be able to, to continue to be aware of where the next level of danger may come from. That's multiple attacker training, right? So right. Th- it was just, you know, all this stuff. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a great example of, of not just, you know, oh, you know, how terrible the world is and these young punks and there's no respect and, you know, all this lip service kind of thing. But a, a, a news story like this can be reverse engineered for from many different directions. And while it all happens at the same time, we can look at it from the perspective of, okay, I can speak up because that's, that's my warrior heart, warrior mind, right? But when I do, I have to be thinking another step ahead. When I do that, what can happen? And who that I'm here to protect might be in a line of fire. So before I open my mouth, I might want to move them or at least do it while I'm saying something, right? Uh, you know, and then there's the multiple attacker things because that entire group of eight kids came from the same direction. They were all in a group, right? So it wasn't like he was surrounded in an attack, right? So while he was dealing with rescuing his son and dealing with his 18-year-old, he could have been, he could have, softened his gaze and paid attention to the group, right, and had an egress already planned out. Or, you know, no matter where I am, I always know where I'm going to go should something occur, right? So, um, but anyway, there's just lots to this, right? And, of course, you know, he wasn't able to to, uh, hold his own. And, uh, you know, I mean,
luckily, based on the law, right, they're, you know, they're the victims, and so the other people get in trouble and all that. Um, the problem is that you're still broken. You still ended up in the hospital, you know. Uh, it's a good sign for your son, but hopefully your son doesn't see the lesson as, yeah, Dad spoke up, and we all got our asses handed to us, so I'm never going to do that ever in my life kind of thing, right? I mean, the lesson could go either way. And I don't know how dad's going to explain this, uh, but either way, there's there's a lot, you know, it's just there's a lot more to this than just doing your kata, doing your henka, maybe doing a little bit of randori, sparring or whatever, uh, and, um, you know, feeling confident in your skills. You can feel confident in your self-defense skills and your and your physical skills, but what about your psychological skills? What about your assessment skills? What about your awareness skills? What about all those soft or invisible skills that will allow you to control the bubble much better and allow you to select your physical skills to a greater degree, to a more precise degree. How about that? That's my take. Uh-oh, did I lose you? Am I talking to myself? Hello? The moderator has left the conference. message from Mr. White. It looks like he got dropped as well. So uh, let me unmute Steve here. Steve, can you hear me? Yeah, I can still hear you. Oh, good. Could you hear me all the way through that? Yeah, I heard everything you said up until you started saying hello, hello. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm back. Well, I couldn't hear anything. I don't know what happened. Maybe it wasn't me that got dropped. Maybe it was Mr. White that got dropped. So, I, I got dropped. Uh, well, it just went silent, and uh, it was weird. Wow. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Okay, so uh, so let's do this. Let's uh, open things up. Uh, I know we were real vague with the with the story, and uh, maybe some some folks had uh, heard it, but let's open it up. Anyone have any uh, comments or or questions about uh, what uh, Eric and I were just talking about there, based on this incident? But you know, it just it just goes deeper into uh, self defense ability and self protection and the ability to protect others. I mean, you know, so anyway, uh, if you have something, now be the time to speak up. I'll check over on the webcast to see if anybody's anybody else has signed in. But. All right, we're unmuted. So anyone, anyone at all? I have a I have a little story that happened to me just recently. If it's okay, okay. to tell, it won't take long. Um, sure. We were out shooting skeet, uh, my boys and I, at a, at a neighbors uh, nearby, and the next thing we know, a guy comes 
flying up in the truck, hollering, stop, 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 you know, and we're all standing there holding shotguns. This guy is definitely very upset. And, I mean, I just immediately reverted to training, like, oh, what's going on? You know, my hands went up. It was like trying to calm this guy because he was very angry because he thought that rounds were landing near his house, near his children. And so it wasn't about, you know, hey, look, man, we're standing here with shotguns and I got a pistol and you just better shut up and get out of here. It was like, oh, hey, just calm down, you know, because who knows what he had inside his truck. So, you know, I think of those things and what you said, I thought the first thing I thought of is why didn't anybody else speak up with the last story? You know, why didn't they say that? The, the last story you told. Uh, oh, sure, about, absolutely. You know, why didn't anybody else speak up? You know, why didn't anybody right. else help out? But I sent you something not too long ago about similar about that. People have this mindset that this isn't happening to me. This is hmm. happening to somebody else. You know, and yeah. when it happens to them, they're they don't know what to do. Right. Hmm. Well, let me tell you a story about uh, two teenagers that, uh, that joined my school a long time ago. This was way back. I mean, we had just opened our first uh, dojo in the area. It was a part-time school. And uh, these two teenagers came in to watch class. And, you know, they, they uh, afterwards, we had this discussion. And I said, so, you know, how did you hear about us? Well, you know, we knew we were here and everything. But, you know, uh, we never really gave it any thought. As a matter of fact, us and our friends used to make fun and all that. But let me tell you why we came in. Uh, we were at a party on Friday night, and um didn't happen to us, right? But we went to the restroom, and uh, I guess it was a school dance or something like that, right? So they went to the restroom, and um, this other guy came in, and then this other guy came in. And next thing you know, one of these guys explodes on the other and just beat him into the floor, right? And these two teenagers that eventually became my students looked at me and said, you know, people might say that, you know, why didn't you step in or whatever, but I got to tell you, that happened so fast and was mm. more brutal than we ever imagined something could be. We literally had no idea what to do. And we don't ever want to have that feeling again. So here we are, right? So, uh, you know, how many of those people were that traumatized? How many of those people uh, didn't want to get involved? Uh, th- those who did get involved, you know, they expected what I don't know the Star Trek Enter- or the Starship Enterprise to suddenly beam down security and police to stop this thing from happening. Because when people call nine one one, they're almost expecting instantaneous response. They forget that time equals distance, right? But um, you know, so there's all these things going on that we also have to factor into our responses, right? What kind of delay tactics can you use? What kind of distraction or dissuasion tactics can you use? Because nothing, there's only one condition or one situation where it's going to look like you're training, and that's when it's a surprise attack. But i got to tell you, a surprise attack, more often than not, is going to punch you while you're walking by, and then you're going to have to respond from a disoriented position. So it, it's not going to be with this guy standing across from you nice and calm, and then, and then they're going to go, right? But uh, your, your little thing there brought up that, that memory of, of these two teenagers all those years ago that became students because they got caught in that situation, but 
lucky for everyone else after that, um, they took a proactive stance and, and decided they never wanted to be in that position again. Not that they yeah. hoped that it would never happen again or they wanted to never be in it again out of a fear response. They never wanted to be in something like that again and not know what to do, whether it was them or somebody else. So, you know, uh, so they took action. So that's a cool thing. All right. Yeah, and this just Anybody brings else? to mind, too, kind of the lesson of, oh, you know, sorry. I think really, uh, you know, needing the student needing to take some initiative to go beyond just the regular class. You know, so much of these no. things that I've been able to pick up have been, you know, like the, the, the idea of cover uh, versus concealment. I You know, we might have touched on that in just the typical kind of dojo time on the floor, but I really right. got a grasp of that because I took your firearm seminar. Uh, you know, I, I learned other skills from taking the survival skills seminar, uh, going to camps. I mean, it, it's the act of actually going beyond to some of these, I don't know if you want to call them extracurricular uh, lessons or activities that really help fill this stuff in that when something happens, it's instinctual and not, you know, because you've already well, then, done then the you had, work. You had to take it beyond that, too. You had to walk around the world and look for yeah. examples of cover as opposed to concealment and recognize that, okay, these things over here, that's both. It's both cover and concealment. But, you know, and, and, and you have to go through this and be able to recognize it so that when you need one over the other, you know, you know what to choose, right? You know that, you know, start watching movies then and they lose their luster because, oh, man, somebody was shooting at him through a door and he hid, you know, he got behind the wall next to the door, except that's drywall. If the attacker was smart, this movie would have been over 20 minutes into the movie because the the good guy would have been shot through a drywall. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing, right? It's just so, uh, yeah, it's just the... Uh, uh, it has to go beyond. It, it really, really does. Uh, one of the first lessons I was taught in this art was that uh, not just how vast the art is, I mean, even aside of having nine schools to try to learn the stuff from, but just Nijitsu itself. Hatsumi Sensei said that we would only ever learn 10% of the art in the dojo. We were mm. going to have to go out and steal or by observation or whatever learn the other 90% on our own because it wasn't in the kata. It wasn't in the models. It, you know, we're going to toss these lessons out and you're going to have to go out and nurture them and pay attention to these other things, right? So uh, this is just really, really important. I mean, uh, of course, there's a certain level of abdication of your training that goes to your teacher because you need guidance. You need help of some sort, right? But at the same time, you can't abdicate everything because you're going to be missing out on a lot, you know. Well, he didn't tell me that, you know. Or worse yet, I've, I've had peers and I've had students over the years that um, we teach something and they'd say, well, is that an official part of the, the lineage? The hell does it matter? <laughs> you know, <laughs> is it official? Uh, it's about survival, so, uh, yeah. Remember, eventually, early on, I mean, in the beginning, this stuff was, it was nothing but accumulated information that eventually became, you know, it got written down and people would say it became stylized or, or codified or whatever as mm. best practices. But it was, it's also been tweaked over the past centuries as well. So we have to be careful. And I, that, I mean, that's my general warning all the time, right? Be careful. All right. Um, 
Hasmisa says play. I say be careful. <laughs> you can get hurt while you're playing. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Uh, let me check over here because we had that little fiasco there. See if any other questions or comments came in. don't see anything. Uh, any other questions or comments about anything? All stunned well, by your awesomeness. <laughs> no, no, that was your awesomeness. Stunned to yeah. silence. Nice. Nice. I see Josh is on as well. I'm surprised I don't hear from him. Maybe he's trying to, um, I don't know, uh, work with a client and listen at the same time, but not let either of us know that he's doing it. Uh, anyway, Josh, Josh's new endeavor is uh, stealth training, stealth movement, which oh, nice. is challenging for most people in and of itself, but when you're as tall as Josh is, oh. which also comes with big feet and big hands and all that stuff, right? Um, it, it takes on a whole other little challenge. Actually, guys, I don't know if you can hear me, but uh, yes, of course. Um, I, I would. Uh, my my biggest thing is there was a this spot in my uh, in-laws' house that uh, I would walk down the stairs at the. Uh, it was dark. They didn't really have lighting in the stairs consistently hit my head on the smoke detector <laughs> every single time. <laughs> but you knew it was there, right? And, uh, well, you know, sometimes you forget. And, uh, so, um, <laughs> if, that, if, if the stealth training keeps me from doing that, because uh, sometimes you're, you get going at a pretty good clip down the stairs, and before you know it, know sure. it you know, you're on your ass. So, um, yeah. You keep using the I, word I, I thought it was, like I, that happens to me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, my only comment was uh, on your story about uh, uh, Jack. Uh, you know, from what I remember of him, and this is tw- almost 20 years ago. I would, I would, I can imagine he would have no problem uh, uh, putting his foot down like that. That's that's my memory of him. <laughs> Absolutely. At the batting cage. Jack is mellowed some with age, but when when I first met him in 19. 19- Eighty, I don't know, four, five, six, something like that. Um, he was way more rough around the edges. <laughs> he, had, he had no problem. Uh, Hatsumi Sate, uh told him that he should, you know, work on certain things. And he, I, I remember having lunch with him one time. I was in Japan, and we just kind of bumped into each other. I didn't know he was going to be there. He didn't know I was going to be there. And uh, so uh, we're training, and you know, he was on one side of the dojo, I'm on the other. We break for lunch. And uh, uh, I just happened to decide to walk in this little place to, to have some lunch. And there he is with a couple of students. And, oh, yeah, sit down. And, no, 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 you're, you're with your friends. He says, yeah, I know, but I like you better, so sit down. So, I mean, it's just little things like that, right? <laughs> but um, uh, Jack uh, n- has never had a problem saying what, what he meant. As a matter of fact, um, I tried speaking up <laughs> where, uh, uh, you know, Jack was in New Jersey and still is. Uh, he had several high-ranking people. Like, uh, my rank was slow along the way, and uh, I think that was engineered as well. But anyway, um, so he had all these people in Philadelphia, which is, you know, two and a half hours east of where I am and way closer to him. But when people called from Philadelphia or that region of Pennsylvania – or would go to a seminar and, and uh, talk to Jack and say, you know, I really wish you know, there was somebody near me or whatever. Uh, Jack would refer them to me. I, I'd get these phone calls, 
And, you know, they'd say, oh, you know, hey, Jack Coben uh, suggested you. I'm in the Philadelphia area. And my brain would race like he's got like three or four training groups in Philadelphia directly under him. Mm-hmm. So I'm at lunch with him, and I said, you know, i got to tell you something that it, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable and it bothers me. Um, but, um, you know, I, I get these phone calls from these people, and, you know, the, like these guys in Philadelphia were 13th on, 14th on, whatever. At that point in my training, maybe I was, I don't know, third or fourth on. Now, granted, the standards were a bit different, but uh, I'd say, you know, I'm getting these calls, and they're saying that you're referring them, but these people are living in Philadelphia. You've got two or three, four, whatever, training groups there. Um, It kind of makes me feel kind of weird. And he goes, I don't give a shit. You're better than they are. Okay, fair enough. And I went to say something else, and he said, and now you're going to shut up about it, right? Well, since you can kick my ass, of course I am. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, he's uh, – but he, Jack is one of those people, just like Bud Malmstrom, that will always stand up for something that they feel is wrong in the moment and try to fix it, you know? If it's an over-their-head kind of thing and they know it, that's when the escape and evasion comes in, Right. But very little slips by these guys, and that's why they're my role models and mentors. Okay? They're not so transfixed on only doing it one official way that um, they miss the direct application of the lessons in today's world. You know? So, anyway, good stuff. Good stuff. Josh, stop hitting your head on things. I know it's easy. You're freaking tall. I mean, uh, what are you, 6'5"? What? How tall are you? Uh, not, no, six two. Not, not quite that tall. Six two. Six five. Even so, hard. So six two. Yeah, even harder. Tim Wolf is quite close. Yeah. Tim Wolf is taller than you. Uh, probably. Yeah, Tim Wolf. Yeah. One of our guys. He's six five. Uh, yeah, 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 six five. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap! Well, you know, I'm five six, so everybody's taller than me. So, anyway, um, <laughs> well, maybe not Steve. <laughs> yeah, I am taller than you, barely. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's see, see uh, came in here. Question uh, came but in. But we don't hit our head on anything. We don't hit our head on anything, ever. <laughs> yeah, Tim Tim said something in here. Please expand on the soft skills acquisition. Um, well, uh, the first thing I would say about expanding on them is uh, the first thing you need to do is find out what it is that you need, right? So you can have a list of these things. And it doesn't have to be a big list. Once you start down the rabbit uh, rabbit hole or once you start down this path, you'll start to add on other things, right? But soft skills uh, include um, uh, everything from posture and demeanor, right, and how you're perceived, right, Uh, so that, you know, you can now control whether you're perceived as a target or you're perceived as uh, a potential threat, because if they're out to neutralize threats first, I learned that when I was a bodyguard. One of the first lessons you learn is how to blend in with the people that you're going to be protecting. So if I'm protecting a wealthy principal, I better look good in a tailored tux. Right? I better know how to eat properly at the table uh, based on their set of etiquette rules. Okay. Because when you're in that position, just like from a ninja mindset, it doesn't matter what your preferences are. What matters is do you understand why the lesson is what it is, okay? 
And the reason the lesson is what it is is because if you eat your way and everybody else is eating like uptown uh, boys, you know, with the fork in the left hand and the knife in the right hand and the fork is upside down and uh, to, to most people, right, and you're doing the old shovel and scoop method, okay, the people that are that are out to get your principal that are really, 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 really skilled and they do their homework, they shoot you first, okay? They're not trying to abduct a principal. It's not like the movies. They're trying to abduct a principal, and then in the process of defending themselves and shooting back, they shoot the, the good guys. No, they shoot all the good guys first. They shoot all the protectors first so they can literally walk in and grab this guy who can't protect himself or he wouldn't be hiring protection, right? And they can now literally walk him out the door while everybody else is screaming and pissing themselves, okay? You have to look and carry yourself like everybody else. So there's those kind of things. There's uh, the awareness skills, right? Just start paying attention to things. Uh, in one of the, and regardless of what you think of the guy, right, Stephen Hayes has put out a ton of great information, um, especially early on when he was still connected to Hatsumi Sensei and things were, let's just say, closer to the source. Uh, but uh, there was an exercise in one of his books uh, that really had you go through the five senses. And what you did was every day you chose a sense, right, sight, hearing, taste, whatever, and that entire day, that's what you focused on. Now, it's not like you didn't do the other ones, right? But let's say we're doing the sense of sight, and that's, it's Monday, right? So I'm going to do this from the time I wake up until the time I go to sleep. So when I wake up, before I open my eyes, I can start to kind of play around with being aware of how light plays on my eyelids because I'm not completely in the dark unless I'm in a completely dark room. But if there's a light source or whatever... I can turn my head toward that and see how that changes things, turn it away from it, see how that changes things. I can push my, put my fingers on my eyelids and press a little bit or move and see what kind of patterns that makes because um, I'm affecting the, the, the uh, pressure in the eye and that affects, you know, the, the retina and blood vessels and all kinds of things, right? Um, and then I can open my eyes and, and watch the focusing process. And then as I get up and go through my day, Right, I might spend an extra couple of seconds just kind of looking at the material of the shirt or the color or whatever that I'm going to put on my pants. Does this take longer? Yes, of course it does. It does because we're not just taking our life and what happens to us and around us as a foregone conclusion. But I'm going to do this, and what I'm going to do for the rest of that day, uh, including in places where I think I've seen everything, right, is I'm going to I'm going to look at things a little bit more clearly or just a little extra, right? I might look at uh, like there's a small TV set on my on my desk here that I use to review uh, videos and, and things like that, right? So I'm going to scan around this thing, and what I'm looking for is something that I've never noticed before, right? And I'm going to do that with my day while I'm driving to work or whatever. Now, I don't want to take my, my eyes off the road to where I'm going to have an accident, but I'm going to be looking around for things that I, I didn't notice before, right? There's a tree in my front yard. I'm going to look at that um, because what I want to get over is, the snapshot that I have in my memory of the tree. So I only glance by it, but I'm not really looking at it. I'm calling up this snapshot of what the tree looked like. I now want to look at that tree like it just showed up in my yard last night, right, and see if I noticed something about it that uh, I didn't notice before. Okay? 
so I can do that, right? Uh, next day, maybe I'm doing hearing. The day after that, maybe I'm doing the sense of touch. But that, you get the idea, right? So uh, awareness is a tool, and it's a skill just like blocking, punching, kicking, anything like that, right? So we want to put some more, aware, uh, more uh, attention into it. When I'm doing the sense of touch, right, I slide into my car, right, to, to drive to work or to go home or whatever, right, I want to feel the seat against my uh, my body, right, and how things are fitting, right, it's just something I didn't notice before, right, when I put my hands on the steering wheel, I want to feel the steering wheel on my hands like it's the first time, and we can all recognize this because if you bought a new car or you ever borrowed your friend's car or anything like that, right, you get into the car and the first thing you recognize is that this feels different, right, but very quickly, what people tend to do is they blow it off to, well, this doesn't feel like my car. Well, I like this or well, I don't like that. Or, but it happens very, very quickly, and then they assimilate and, you know, focus region does its job, and they filter out all this stuff, and then they forget it. Um, but we, we want to keep that skill going so that awareness is something that happens on a regular basis. Concentration and focus and the ability to switch between what we might call Zen mind uh, where you have a single point focus and you're able to pay attention to something without word thinking, without thinking in words, okay? Zen mind, because when you're in the thick of a fight and the fists are flying, you don't have time to be thinking. Thinking in words slows you down extremely, right? So, uh, but to do that, we have to do some Zen-type meditation or just practice that suspension of, we're not really suspending thought, what we're doing is suspending word thought, that kind of processing, right? Uh, and then uh, the observation skills, right, the insight-based, what we call insight-based meditation or mindset, uh, just outside of his range where we have time to think and process and, and assess, uh, you know, what we're wearing, what he's wearing, the environment, that kind of thing, and recognize advantages, disadvantages, and those kind of things. You can't be doing that within, within fist range, okay? So we want to be able to do that. And then until we develop that mindset and that ability to observe and, and recognize these things, we're not going to be able to use them as tools in an actual given situation, right? Uh, soft skills like assessment, right? Um, can you get inside your stronghold, your house, right? And then start looking around uh, at, uh, okay, so uh, there's a knock at the door or somebody rings the doorbell. I go to the door and somebody's right there. And so they're going to attack me from that point, okay? There are three points within that doorway that they can be attacking you or that you're going to have to deal with them. Outside the doorway, so they're reaching in, in the doorway, and in your living room, kitchen, whatever, okay? So, uh, you know, what, what do you have, right? So you're there, and you start to look around, okay? What's within arm reach that I could use as a tool or a usable aid on hand? if I need it. So, again, you just kind of play it around with this. Do the same thing with your back door. Do the same thing with your bedroom. Do the same thing in bed, sitting up in bed trying to get out uh, or already out and standing beside the bed, right? What, what are the obstacles that are around if you had to defend yourself that, you know, it's your place. You should know it better than the bad guy, but what can you use to trip him? What can you use or what might be there that could impede your defense? And so by doing this, you do it at work, you do it in your car, you, you do these things so that what ends up happening is this just becomes the way you think. It's not a paranoid kind of thing. It's just that you're exercising this 
mental ability. And you're developing the tool. You're developing the skill. Right? And that's just a couple of them. So uh, hopefully that was enough to expand at the moment because we're, we're, we're going to run out of time here. But that, that was a good question. But I, the, the, the suggested place to start is you need to understand and, and start making a list of what those soft skills are. And then you can then, if you don't know how to, to work on them, that's, you know, pointy questions for a teacher. Right. So, Could I ask a que uh, quick question? Sure. Okay. Um, well, I listened to your broadcast last time, and we were talking about solo. And I'm not trying to switch the subject um, about solo practicing because a lot of people aren't partners and whatnot. And you mentioned that, like, you know, the ninja walking and various things that you do on your own without even thinking about it are part of solo training, where you said the combative mm -hmm. end of it is more of a small end of it. But how do you – Explain that to a student coming in there who needs to have quit, you know, their job or their life, they're, they're the military or they're, you know, they're working in healthcare or they need certain skills right away to learn. Do you teach them like a set of skills that they can go to that would deal with weapons and some grappling and strikes and kicks yes. right away that they, as a collage of stuff? Yeah. I'm not talking about the whole okay. system because your whole system would, no, would I, definitely, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, I got gotcha. you. Um, and that's why our curriculum looks a little different than, than most people, even within the system, because uh, our whole first module of training is based on best practices or best ideas from the art, from a, from a principles and concepts standpoint, uh, where they don't have to look crisp and perfect and, you know, uh, what people would call, you know, great taijutsu or whatever, right? Uh, but it's all wrapped around the most likely attack types that they can run into, okay? So for the yep. general student that comes in, bear hugs, hook punches, uh, single and double grabs at different parts of their clothing, uh, those kind of things, right? Uh, there's a whole list of them. But if somebody right. comes in and they're in law enforcement, they're in security, they're in military, then they're, uh, they learn the base curriculum, but their, their training is also enhanced and or uh, tweaked a little bit because uh, my corrections officers that train with me, right, they have very specific uh, things. So we may or may not do it on the floor. Uh, well, here's an example. Uh, one of my guys, uh, he's been with me for over a year now, but within his first two or three classes, we got talking about, you know, my experience in law enforcement and what he deals with and how, you know, he has to search these inmates every day and, uh, you know, that this is the way it's done. But what he can see is that at a certain point, you know, a CO can be kicked in the face because you're supposed to have this guy lift up his foot, you know, so you can check his right. uh, the lower part of his pants and, you know, that kind of thing, right? But most of these guys are bending over at the waist and they're getting kicked. So he said, but even if I did a squat to get down so that it's easier for me to move or whatever, I'm still going to get kicked in the face. So any suggestions? And I said, absolutely, right? And so how about if you just put yourself into a search position, right? Uh, so we're going to do one leaning and we're going to do one standing free, Okay. So what I did was uh, I said, we're going to eliminate his ability to kick you in the face. And that's where he kind of looked at me all strangely. And I said, that's the problem. The problem is not how you're doing it when you're doing the search. The problem is it starts way before that. The problem is that you're allowing this person to stand in a free, comfortable position where he's able to kick you in the face. Now, the first thing you're going to have to get over, and this is one of those soft skills that Tim talked about, is having the intestinal fortitude to not give a shit 
excuse my language, about what your fellow coworkers say because it looks like you're being Joe Cool CEO and, you know, it, eventually you'll let that go because it's just too much work and blah, 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 right? Uh, yeah, but every time you go to work, <laughs> uh, you know. So anyway, so what I did was I had him make the uh, – and I actually did it on him. And I, I said, so spread your feet apart. Well, we don't have him do that. I don't care. Spread your feet apart. Farther, a little far. Okay, right there. Right? Yeah, I know, but I might start slipping. Right. So at this point, I'm going to put my one foot right next to yours so you can't slip, and I'm going to make you hand me or give me your other foot. I have to lean to do that. Exactly. As long as you have a balance problem, you can't kick me. Okay? So oh, okay. what we did was we put him in this uncomfortable position. If we did a lean-to kind of search position, we're leaning up against the wall. Same thing. Spread your hands. Farther. Perfect. Man, this hurts. This is not comfortable. Not supposed to be comfortable. This is for my safety, not yours. Okay? Spread your legs. Okay? Get to that point. Now, what I'm doing is I'm putting this person into a position that they can't try to come off that wall without falling on their face and sliding down that wall on their face. So the, the reason these positions were created was so that supposedly you put the perpetrator or the inmate or whatever in a disadvantaged position so that you could search them so that you, you know, whatever, right? Otherwise, you just have them empty as pockets, right? So uh, so these guys get these little sidebar things because what they what they need doesn't necessarily have to – it's not a, uh, applicable to the general student population. So I don't try to force that on people, okay? They still need it, but uh, what I do also is that I use those folks in class as examples to everyone else by saying, if I have to adapt something and tell them, I'll let everybody else know. At this point in your training, you don't need this, okay? This will happen in Mod 3. This will happen in Mod 5. This will happen at third degree. He's a corrections officer. He's a police officer. He's a military person or whatever. He needs that now. His life depends on it. Most right. of you don't know if this will ever happen in your life. He knows that every time he goes to work, this might happen. So, I position that, and that also lets that student know that they're getting attention. And, of course, that's why people come to me as well, because I'm not just a black belt in Mijisu. I, you know, have this experience that all this stuff is run through, so uh, it has to work. So what I do is I, I have a curriculum for the general student population, and then yep. my guys that fit these things, then they get that extra. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, because, like, um you know, a lot of these schools, the guy, I'm in, I'm late 50s, I work in healthcare, and I did a keto for a while, um, and I, I, I can't, it, I've had, a, you know, off the premises a problem with a patient, and, and then if there's a weapon involved, I'm, you got a problem. So I was using a joint lock, particularly using a joint lock or whatever, but it didn't, it wasn't something that I continued doing because they weren't, they weren't addressing, you know, well, I'm just a student there, one of many, but my needs were, so I just moved on and found another place. But that's what I was at. You know, when I heard you, you know, the uh, walk and all this stuff, I, I think that's it's fair and fair and you know very fair in what you what you're doing. But and then it's not a soft skill; it, it encompasses the whole comp, the whole curriculum. That they that's a long term thing that they're learning, but the short term. Where there are these but you don't you don't have years, especially in a job like that. Because at, in my workplace violence consulting thing, I mean, I'm I'm always in hospitals and and healthcare areas, um, helping these folks. Because 
you're assaulted way more <laughs> than the yeah. average person. As a matter of fact, nurses are assaulted more than police officers, yeah, 13 they, they, times they, more than police officers, right? And, so uh, absolutely. But at the same time, see, they have procedures they have to worry about. They have to worry about looking professional while they're doing it. It's one of the only occupations that has to treat the combatant or the combative uh, individual while the person is bleeding out or whatever. Right. Um, right. No. Police yeah, officers, right, if somebody's bleeding, I can back off and wait until they get a little dizzy and they're not combative, and then I can move in. So, um, you know, it's just it's it's very different. So the response has to be unique to the audience. So I agree with that. But at the same time, running a school, most of my people, uh, that's what the the curriculum was designed for the average student in the 21st century while calling on these lessons from the 13th century, 15th century, or whatever, right? I understand. I actually teach all that historical stuff uh, later, but, uh, One last, yeah, but, last um, question. Um, sure. If, if, and I'll leave you at this because I don't want to take any If somebody was going to blend, um, say, another art, I mean, like, like a combative with your thing, you'd say, well, why do they want to do it? Well, they want to learn, say, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu alongside of yeah. this. Would that be a good blend yeah. for? Okay. Or judo, which uh, one would be? Well, what I would tell that person is, uh, first, don't forget anything you've ever learned. Uh, the first phase of your training should be in taking the principles and concepts that have to do with tactical application and strategic thinking and overlay yeah. that over the stuff you've already, you've already learned. Okay. So we would ninja-nize that training. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So well, I mean, you really still had, be doing the same if you haven't done that, I mean, I'm if sorry. You're looking to, if you haven't started that tr type of training yet, but willing to blend that with your your training, sure. would BJ, BJJ or judo be a better fit? With I don't know. Mm, with what Question. I'm doing? Yeah. Uh, with, yeah. Mm. Your... Uh, Hard question. See, they're both grappling arts. So oh, okay. You'd have to be willing to, like, you know, learn how to punch somebody in the face and uh, a bunch right. of other things. Right. So uh, I'm, I'm going to leave it with either or. Okay. I would say Listen. BJJ is more of a of an eclectic kind of thing, so there's more to it. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, we're not going to rush to get somebody on the ground. Uh, no. There's a bunch of strategic things, right? But um, I would go with that because judo, by its very nature, is a sport, and while – um, we have a lot of the same throws. They're not done the same way. Kondo, yeah, no, I should say the, the person that, uh, you know, formulated all that judo stuff actually knew Takamatsu Sensei, our 33rd grandmaster, and he pulled a lot of these throws. He was taught these things and he pulled them from other places as well and then made them safe for the school student to learn in a sport context. So, um, but that's, that's more of a polarized, it's either judo or it's not. So if I were going to, Pick one, I would say BJJ. Okay, appreciate you taking the time to respond to my question, sir. Appreciate it. No worries, no worries. I actually have to go here. Uh, okay. I have yeah, a class that's going to start. Hitting up our so time we're way it. over. We're going to get booted off the, the <laughs> thing here. So, uh, Eric, I'm going to pass this right back to you like I did at the beginning. So, Thank you, guys. Uh, based on – yeah, no problem, man. Based on uh, what we've done during this call or whatever, um, how would you wrap it up? How would you uh, – what, what did you pull from this? Uh, you know, essentially kind of going back to what we, we began with, talking about this incident that, you know, again, it happens outside the dojo and, and there's a, there's a just a big need to, you know, practice these things and train outside of the traditional dojo floor and, 
and as you kind of hit on, just just a collection of uh, you know historical techniques that are true to the the scrolls just doesn't cut it in and of itself today. That you've got to really start to think beyond just uh, the punches and kicks, but you know what the situations are like that you find yourself in every day. So I think. That's critical, right. and, and a big part of that, and, and if you want to get that training, is jumping into things that are those extra outside-of-class seminars, non-traditional training-type uh, atmospheres, camps, those things is really where I think a student can start to grasp those things and then take those, of course, into their life outside the school and work on them themselves. Sure. Well said. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to just uh, wrap it up by saying, yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so, God! Uh, I, I'm glad I made sense. I just totally pulled that out of the center. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm either, uh, well, you did, or I'm buying into the, the insanity. I haven't drank anybody else's Kool Aid all week, so why not wrap it up this way? <laughs> so don't forget that next week there will not be a Kuden, uh show because I'll be on vacation. Uh, unless Eric wants to do one of his own and call in a guest uh, uh, instructor. I'm okay with that. Um, otherwise, uh, we'll talk to everybody again uh, the week after. Right? So that will be a Friday the 13th, Eric. That's going to be uh, – we, we need to come up with something that will work really well with that. Yeah, let's go up with what some a, spooky stuff. Yeah. There will be a Friday the 13th in the Halloween month. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So Everybody go see it Halloween if you haven't thing. already. Do your homework. I'm not seeing it. Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm done. Uh, if you're done, so we're going to wrap this up. All right. Great. Well, yeah, we'll uh, look to talk in two weeks on the 13th for the next episode of Kuden. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com. 